are listening to the KM Lobby. This incredible edition is provided to you by Pioneer Knowledge Services, the 501c3, providing knowledge management as a charitable function in the USA. I am Edwin K. Morris. Joining me today in kindred KM spirit and action is Janetta Guele, based in Italy, and Monica Denise Perrin from England. Together, we welcome you to the cause. Welcome to the special incredible edition of the KM Lobby here from Pioneer Knowledge Services. I am your host, co-host, Edwin K. Morse. Joining me as the co-hosts on the show are... I'm Ginetta Guelli. I'm an Information Knowledge Manager and I'm from Italy. Yay, Italy! And I am Monica Danessi Perrin and I am a Knowledge Management Expert and Collaboration Expert as well. I'm just going to throw that in there from London. That's spiffy. So we've got three collaborative, communicative, global people. And our special guest today is... Hi, I am... Helen. <laughs> Helene. Helen. I'm Helen Russell um, from Bristol, UK. And I am an ex-lawyer and now a knowledge management expert. And I really specialize in the people side of KM and making things simple for law firms so they make more profit. Well, that just sounds spectacular because more profit is something most organizations like. And I think lawyers like profit anyway, so it kind of goes hand in hand. What is the biggest issue with knowledge management in law firms? Um, well, at the moment, one of the biggest issues is the fact that everybody is working remotely. Of course, it's pretty much the same as, um, as other organizations. But one of the specific problems we have in the legal sector is that whilst it's quite it's not straightforward but it's fairly straightforward to transfer all our databases so that they can be used remotely so all the precedents and practice notes and all the written down knowledge that lawyers need to do their work one thing that's proving a lot more difficult to reorganize for remote working are all the kind of informal methods of knowledge sharing that used to happen in law firms in a fairly unobtrusive kind of way. All the lawyers chatting to each other while they wait for the kettle to boil and all the bumping into people in corridors and all the, the, the knowing someone really well so that you don't feel awkward about picking up the telephone and saying, I've got this tactical issue. I'm not quite sure what to do now about it and talking things through with someone. That's the thing that people are struggling with a bit at the moment, I think. So are the tools the issue? It can't be the limit of tools. I mean, we've got more tools mm. and connecting devices throughout the world now. So, but I gotta say, isn't there a, a, a caution with classified information or things that you don't wanna have outside the firewall? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I think that, that, that kind of issue has for the most been dealt with. I think talking to the law firm that, mm. that I know, by kind of autumn time, certainly in the UK, we, we locked down for the first time in March. By the autumn time, people had sorted out their firewalls, sorted out their tools, and things were, were pretty secure for remote working. But what their challenge is now is how do they build the trust so that people will talk to each other. It's kind of the human mm. side of things. It's how, how do they feel comfortable 
picking up the telephone. The tool is still the yeah. same. The tool is fine. Video calls, phone calls, whatever. That, that's no problem. But it's it's the relationship side of things that, that's proving difficult. No, I was thinking about this, Helen. I was thinking that um, for digital-born companies and for IT companies, they went into working from home really fairly quickly. And all of the assets were already quite digital. And I think those digital companies have already been kind of uh, looking after and nurturing an online community anyway. And I'm wondering if the law firms um, haven't <laughs> are, are catching up in that sense now, catching up to those digital booms. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there was a lot of resistance um, in law firms to too much remote working, which you know has always been a difficulty for um, for parents and people with caring requirements, um, yeah. you know, who might want a bit more flexibility over work. Um, so I suppose if there's been one good side to the pandemic and the the, the difficult, tough lockdown that everyone um, experienced, it's that we've proved to everyone that it's possible to work in this way. Um, and now it's more a matter of refining things. Certainly the, the law firm leaders that I'm talking to now, very, very few are talking about reverting to the way things used to be done. Mm, interesting. You know, even those who are keen to go back to, you know, a fairly high measure of office-based working, you know, even they are talking about 50% of the time. And people are exploring lots of options, lots of sort of local business hub use or or working remotely from home and that kind mm. of thing. On that culture change, I'll just bring this up and I want Janetta to take the, the phone next, is that I was just on the phone yesterday with a utility company on the East Coast of the U.S. And she told me that through the pandemic, they are now decided that they don't have to come back to work. They can just work wherever you want to work. And I think that is really going to engage many more organizations and how they manage their knowledge in the competition for trying to keep that alive with this new dynamic of how the world engages work. I have some concerns, to be honest, because if we are not able to build trust online, working online, how can we be very productive at the hand? So if also in a law firm, I think at the hand, they have to make money. Yes, I want to be brutally transparent. This is the reality. So if they are not able to build trust, uh, working online, how can we overcome? How can we be even successful or even more successful than in the past? This is my you know, key question. How would you say? What do you say? What would you say, Ellen? I think you're right. It's not a simple thing to build trust mm -hmm. when people aren't all getting together over lunchtime and, you know, experiencing the same training together in a room and chatting about it afterwards as they eat their sandwiches. That was a very, that was something that all law firms did that was an extremely straightforward way to build relationships between different members in departments. And But what people are telling me is that they need to find alternatives. People are quite keen to carry on some measure of remote working because they find their staff are a lot happier and that it seems to work quite well. So they're, they're just experimenting at the moment with different projects, different ways of working that might help to build mm. this trust in a more remote environment. But, but one of the biggest problems we seem to have is that it is the mid and late career people 
who are most keen on the remote working. And obviously, they're the ones with all the complex knowledge. They're the ones with all the tactical knowledge. They're the ones who, you know, really understand the client care and the, you know, handling difficult conversations. And it's trying to find ways to get their knowledge transferred to more junior members of staff. That's interesting. One of the difficult things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. You know, and, and I talked to a lot of um, trainees about their experience of trying to have their training contracts during um, lockdown, because I, I don't know how much you know about how junior lawyers are trained up. But after they've done their three years at university and their one year at professional exams in the UK, very traditionally, what they would then do is two years as what they called a trainee, or in my day, a long time ago, used to be an article clerk. And then for two years, they would sit in with a partner in their room, and they would just listen to what the partner did, how they handled clients, and then the partner would be on hand to answer any questions that they might have. You know, and that has been the training model for kind of hundreds of years. And although we've kind of refined it, this it's, it's how we replace that um, these days when when people can't sit in the same office and you know the, the it's that lack of warmth sometimes isn't it as well or the conflict resolution and that type of the softer skills that come with it yeah no I totally understand but I think the one thing that it has done it has meant that there are we're a bit flatter now than we used to be people have more access I think sometimes to more content and more assets than they used to have do we need to look start look at creating those water cooler moments online and not just bumping into people but not not just make it so serendipitous it has to actually have more of a, a structured and intervenience intervention feel to it are they you know I mean you and I have talked lots about communities of practice that type of community, that type of collaboration, that type of um, lots of experts in one place able to um, answer questions. Is that something that um, community, uh, that, that law firms are ex- you know, experimenting with? That's certainly what they're telling me. Um, and an awful lot of um, law firm KMers are telling me that actually they're surprised at how well um, more senior members of staff are taking to replacing you know their in-person communities with virtual Mm -hmm. communities they kind of expected a lot more resistance to the new technologies because historically that's that's kind of how it's been in our in our sector there has been a lot of resistance but actually people are seeing the benefit to it they're they're seeing that they're able to be at home and they're able to see their families but they're also able to do their work and communicate with their colleagues and share their thoughts and ideas online so yeah Mm -hmm. people are people are having mixed results and I think it's a it's a moment of experimentation people are trying lots and lots of different methods to replace what what we used to do you don't see it snapping back to two years ago do you see the trend will keep to uh, like you said innovate change change behaviors, change, modify what we did do to what we can do and to what we will do in a future sense. And out of the room here, the biggest consideration is what happens to those that are, and Janetta is a big fan of raising this all the time, what happens to the folks that get pushed out of that workforce uh, due to technology innovation? My experience is that um, there is a groundswell of opinion that 
that we shouldn't go back to the way things used to be. And most law firm leaders that, that I am talking to personally recognize there is a big issue mm. if we don't go back to the way things were, that there will then grow two groups. There will be the groups that are more engaged in the office who are there four days a week. And then there will be the groups that are two days a week in the office or whatever the minimum is the firm decides. Mm. You know, the way life works, the people who are going in two days will tend to be those with caring responsibilities. They will be parents Mm. of younger children. But certainly the law firm leaders that I talk to are very aware of that. And they are trying now to think of ways where they can mitigate that problem. Maybe if everybody's doing a couple of days at home, people will be more aware of the risks of that and will think more about including people in online video calls with clients mm. or, you know, in, including them or, or contributing to a community of practice. Or do, you think, do you think KMers and, and KM people in, in, in law firms have a role, a big role now to play in this? Because we are quite used to putting in place these um, scheduled activities that increase collaboration, you know, either face create the links where the links, yeah, where the brokers. So now people. Exactly. So exactly. I do KM people now have a bigger role to play than we did before. I I certainly think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's been one of the nice things to hear knowledge management people in law firms saying suddenly everyone gets what I'm for. People understand now what I do. They appreciate the fact that they need to have the knowledge online. They need to have it accessible. Mm. And they also suddenly appreciate why I was always pushing them to join communities of practice or, you know, join training events. And and there has been, I think, a switch in understanding that people do now get why they're paying for an overhead. Let's be honest, you know. The owners are earning the cash yep. and the management people are, you know, trying to smooth the wheels and improve profitability, but they do often get seen as an overhead. Well, you talk about overhead. Let's talk about the $5,000 conference table that has to be with the plush leather chairs and all that other stuff mm-hmm. that goes with the physical space. You talk of overhead, you're going to be saving money. And it's a mix. It's a mix. There is the pro, the cons, the plus, and the delta. Of course, it seems that uh, Helen, if I understood correctly, it seems that KM and law firm is moving from a traditional uh, way of working, mm. like being a professional service like Brian PSL, to sort of facilitation. Because if we have to facilitate the two groups, the one who want to work on on a physical place and the one who want to work mostly from remote, KMers should be able to enhance their facilitation skills. Do you agree? But what's your idea? What's your point of view on this? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think people have often said, knowledge lawyers, PSLs, whatever you call them, the subject matter experts who also do KM are the bridge between kind of, you know, the operations side of the business and and, and the lawyers themselves. Um, but, you know, the, I, I think it's, it's a great moment where people are appreciating what they do, but it also has to be a moment where we grasp the need for these PSLs and knowledge lawyers to be properly trained in knowledge yeah. management. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I ended up a knowledge manager through being a lawyer and, you know, I was very, very fortunate 
that um, my line manager appreciated how important it was for me to Mm. go on a knowledge management course. But an awful lot of the uh, knowledge lawyers that I meet don't get that support or training. Um, So they might be working in an outdated way, um, Mm. not appreciating what the latest research tells us about the best ways to share more complex knowledge. Um, And hopefully, I, I genuinely hope that this is the moment in time when people realize that knowledge lawyers and KM is in in law firms need to have competencies written into their job yep, descriptions yep. that are to do with knowledge management and learning. And it's not just all about their subject matter expertise. Yeah. But that's, become that's more a outcome. personal thing of mine. You become more outcome based. And I think that's what we need to move towards now. Not so much as we were before. You know, the metrics now need to be more about reciprocity, more about those likes and those shares and that contribution. How much contribution are you making to those communities? How much contribution are you doing the skills uplift? Are you helping capability? Are you raising it in certain areas? This is what we need to start measuring. And I think knowledge management professionals are in the right moment, in the right time at the moment. Uh, you know, we have those governance, we have those metrics. We have, I've been using those, as you've seen many times, you know, I've been using the, 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 those the health metrics for of a long time now, which looks at you know, how people are, are engaging and participating online. So for me, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new world that's coming, that's, that's moving towards, as, as Janetta said, a more um, agile organisation and a more flexible organisation for, for legal firms. I think it's an exciting time. I think there's yeah. lots of opportunities out there. And I think as more people understand the benefits that, you know, proper evidence-based knowledge management can bring to their business, then hopefully that will create a, a groundswell behind it and, and in, you know, embed it even further. Yeah. The, the only thing that I have not heard discussed, and this has been a centric and I'll say organizationally designed conversation. We're talking about the industry of law and lawyers in specific and and having this as a new way of doing business, but I've not heard anything about how the customer feels about this, right? I've listened to the discussion. The industries to change that I'll I'll use as a mirror of this discussion is the banking industry. Mm. If you'd have Mm. said 50 years ago to a Mm. banker, hey, you know what? I don't even have to go to the bank anymore. Mm. I can do it all from my mobile device. That banker would have fell over dead. Say, oh, no, we have to have banks. What about all these employees? What will they do? Mm. Well, there's a whole new industry that transferred and became customer-centric, not institution centric a bank had you know in the u.s the common phrase was oh they have bankers hours because bankers set the time they wanted to work and that's when everybody else had to go do their banking Mm, that's true that's that model is blown out of the water it's 24 7 now and i don't ever have to get out of bed to do my banking does the customer expectation help drive this change in law? Hmm, That's an interesting point. It is. I mean, well, I think one of the difficult things about thinking of the legal sector as just one big sector is is the difficulty that that people are serving all kinds of different customers in different emotional states. Mm. You know, someone who is fighting for the custody of their child in a really awful divorce battle often needs a personal meeting with someone whereas you know your 
mm. who used to be um, a lawyer in-house and really understands what's going on in their ginormous corporation. They, they don't need the same kind of meetings. They might need a couple to make sure they really get the lawyer and trust them and a couple of handshakes and staring people in the eyes and that kind of thing. But after that, they're happy to carry on through uh, online portals and that sort of thing. So it, it's- you, you bring up a point, and this is another industry model that has shifted with the times, is insurance. You know, you used to have the face-to-face, -face, an insurance man used to, or woman used to come to your house to deal with insurance, and it was very much a hands-on, face-to-face. And now that's, that's not the way. People don't expect that yeah. anymore, even if they're a corporate structure or an individual that wants life insurance. You know, it's just all digital. I understand all the points, uh, but I will not using, I mean, I will not losing uh, the human relationship. At the end, uh, KM is not all about people because here there is a lot of technology. So, but, and we are creating the, 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 the links and we're going to be facilitators, but at the end, a meeting face-to-face -face, uh, can solve many things, many, many weaknesses, many bad points, more than an online meeting. And I, I honestly miss those face-to-face uh, -face meetings. So is KM not losing uh, its power of creating relationship between people to enhance uh, productivity and uh, maybe increase uh, profitability? Just a question, just a fruitful thoughts. What do you think? If you had asked me that question pre-pandemic, I would have probably said to you, there was no way that we could replace um, the person-to-person, in-person, face-to-face kind of knowledge sharing of the really complex knowledge that you need to get shared around a, a law firm in particular. Um, and we would never be able to do it online or remotely. But forcing people into doing it, I think, has shown them that face-to-face -face is very important, conversation is very important, projects to build trust are very important. But although I think an in-person conversation will always be the gold standard for knowledge sharing of the most complex type, you know, we can still do an awful lot remotely. You know, and if people can be organized so that their two days in the office coincide with the people they need to talk to or coincide with events that, that everyone needs to attend, I think with, with a lot of forethought and a lot of planning, we, we are able to replicate a lot, of, a lot of the knowledge sharing that used to go on in a face-to-face -face way. Mm. And also, do you think that working from remote uh, will imply that especially a woman will work more? I mean, we are saving a lot of time in not, <laughs> in not going to work. Commuting time is really a nightmare in some cities and some in metropolis. I can understand it. But I heard that some women are complaining that even if they are saving time in commuting, uh, and they enjoy to work from remote, they work, they work more. So at the end, those four hours or three hours, two hours per day, they work more and they're paid less. <laughs> ha. So um, 
I mean, knowledge sharing, it's okay. Uh, we can work two days in the office and three days at, war at the home. It's fine. We can care more about people. But how about when we realize that we work more and we are paid the same and the company is just... See, that, that, that's the profitability factor right there. <laughs> and the yes. And the company is just like saving it. money <laughs> Yay! from both sides uh, because they don't rent offices. <laughs> they don't pay the water in the office and the lunch sure. break and the horn. But they are also saving money. Because we work more. So this will give the employees, if you're a full employee and you're in this situation, <laughs> right? It gives you more motivation to say, look, your bottom line is shrinking or your, your bottom line is increasing with your cost shrinking, uh, for overhead say, uh, and if you can reduce space and resources for having a physical office and push it out to the remote work, everybody wins. So you can command more money, I would suspect, because you've got logic on your side. There's nothing that that can combat that logic. It's like, hey, wait, you know, it's helping me as a human. It's helping you as a business. Everybody wins. But I think the interesting thing is that it's going to not be the same. The the thing I and I heard what Janetta was saying about, and I, I something came to mind was that it's not an either or situation. It's a but and. Mm. Right. It's not exclusive of each other. And I think um, before Monica dropped off the call, and you, if you can remember where you're at, Monica, I'll go to you next. In a mm -hmm. workplace I used to have, we were given the option as employees to pick how you want to work. Mm -hmm. I picked I want to work uh, three 10 hour days because we were in a different situation. When, and people are like, oh, we get the pick. So some people didn't want to do that. I did. Uh, cause that gave me a heck of a weekend off. But the problem with that was the workplace experience that, oh, we can't have mon we can't have meetings on Monday mm -hmm. because Bob, Joe and Sally are off, you know? So it was like, uh, so it became an, a, a barrier to change. And we had to go back to work in five days a week because that's just the rest of the environment worked that way. Okay. Well, I, I, I think it's increased that flexibility, not just for women but for um, mainly for men i think i think the men were mainly were more in the office nine to five um and uh, if you do have children you did have that flexibility in your contract you were able to ask for some time you know to, to, to support you in at home um but um for me it's i think i've seen a lot of change for on the men's side but so uh, that's just my personal experience you know I've never, I've never seen guys at home all day do you know what i mean every day you know what I mean? That to them. It's exciting. They, it's they're exciting. getting a bit pudgier. But anyway, I'm not sure KM can help with that. Um, but, Are you saying I'm getting I'm, fat? I'm Are you that, saying I'm, I'm getting fat? I'm saying that Hawaiian shirt looks hey. good on you. As I said earlier, the ukulele is on its way. <sighs> yeah, ukulele. That's you know, all I mean. All I right, mean, so was, to to wrap things say, up, Monica, get to, get, my, get, to, my get to the point and get off get, my, get on yeah, my point. You. Do you know the point is knowledge management has a big role to play in this transformation journey. It's huge. We need to do more of the things we've always been doing, we, but they're now more open to it. We need the lessons learned. We need the reflection time. We need to bring cross-functional teams together. We need continuous improvement. We need to bring those that regular cadence of getting people together more frequently and, and do knowledge sharing events. And I think people will be a lot more open to it than they were 
before as it's become a lot flatter. And um, yeah, that's that's really the point that I was going to make. We, we're actually in a great position. And I think, Helen, thank you so much for bringing that to the table. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Monica. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think KMs also have a lot to offer to help people through this transition period itself. You know, as you say, mm. an awful lot of what we do is about the iteration, about learning lessons. And we can learn those lessons about how we manage remote yeah. working as much as we can learn them about, you know, lawyering. <laughs> Everything. So we're going to go around the table yeah. here and go with the last burning question of the conference call here. So who would like to go first with their most burning question? I can go. I knew you would. Go. <laughs> okay. So uh, KM is a lot, of course. We have data and information processing procedures, IT people, and now we have the rule of facilitators, even more than in the past. But now, more than in the ever, uh, more than ever, the IT side is taking a lot of space inside KM. But especially with the law firms, is all these IT tools are undermine will undermine uh, the prestige of law firms? The prestige of law, the lawyers, you know, you see them and all the trucks and the suits and so on. They have a standing, you know, they have a standing. You know. So, but without mm -hmm. the IT, I work for, for a law firm. Let's, let's do this. Yes. So, but with all this IT and having the, law firm, the lawyers in front of a mirror or in front of a camera, it's not going to undermine their value and their prestige. <laughs> That's my burning question. <laughs> Uh, Power and prominence. What's the answer, Helen? What I is suppose it? the answer is uh, I don't know. Let's wait and see. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I think I think the pandemic has opened up people's home lives and personal lives in a way that nothing else ever has. You know, you know, meeting my own clients, law firm clients. I always met them in their lovely swanky London offices and they were all wearing their suits and I, I was clip-clopping around in my high heels and all that stuff. And now they see me in my kitchen, in my study. Um, I see them with their dogs on their knee or, you know, that kind of thing. And it's such a lovely human experience. I mean, I'm sure there are moments when clients need lawyers to be the besuited, high-heeled power people that they project but I think there also must be situations where they want them to be real people with real lives who understand what they're going through and want to help them as people not just as high-powered lawyers so let's see how it turns out yeah that's a good safe yeah. answer thanks Helen <laughs> no, very legal answer. No, actually, I totally, yeah. I totally agree. There are the, the 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 classic law firms where they they think that lawyers have to be very powerful and to to wear something very strong to demonstrate that their mind are uh, exceptional. But at least in Italy, we have also lawyers uh, we that uh, are very human and very simple, and they have strong minds to win. You know, to win. So I agree with Helen. Let's see. I don't know if there's a correlation there between $5,000 suits and <laughs> product, you know, productivity, but there may be. Well, I, I do know one um, law firm who are very niche looking after um, entrepreneurs and they had to send out a rule that people had to stop wearing their $5,000 suits because all their entrepreneurs are pretty casual and all their tech, geeks are pretty casual in how they dress 
and and you right. have to dress for your audience don't you and you know I used to do a lot of litigation and it definitely suits for for court but you know your client can be a completely mm. different kettle of fish all right our next kettle of fish is from Monica what's your burning question <laughs> My burning question is on this on this hot topic is, uh, do we um, have to change for the virtual world? Is the virtual world more informal? We certainly have to change. I think for the virtual world, I think it's here to stay. I think it will be difficult to put that genie back in the bottle. And I think there's an awful lot that's fantastic about working remotely and working virtually. I think we have to we have to work at it though. We can't just assume that we do the same thing. Mm-hmm sitting in our studies, looking at a Zoom screen. We mm. have to plan for it more. We have to, you know, work out how what's going to be the new way of working better. So it's, it's not going to be a straightforward transition, but there's definitely a transition happening that's going to stay. I think we all think. agreed. The law of concrete. <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> all right. So I'm up last. I'm going to ask you what the, your definition of knowledge management is, and then I'm going to save my burning question until you've explained to us all what KM okay, is. Okay, so so I like really simple definitions of knowledge management. I think, uh, certainly in my sector, it's about getting the knowledge that people need to do their jobs to them at the moment that they need it. You know, so they're well informed, so their contracts you know, are watertight so that their litigation doesn't, you know, cause the firm problems with negligence and and their clients are happy. And I think it's very important to be clear that that knowledge comes in quite a variety of, of, of states. So we do in the legal sector have lots of knowledge that's very straightforward, that we write down and put in precedent, or that we learn about processes and we translate that into the software that we use to manage our cases through through their life cycle but we mustn't forget that there's also knowledge that is nigh on impossible to write down and needs to be shared by person-to-person contact and we mustn't forget that that knowledge exists on the end Mm. of that spectrum all right So the burning question is this, do law firms that you experience or you worked with uh, or know about, are they going to adopt or have they adopted the international standard 30401 for knowledge management systems? And what percentage do you see law firms or lawyers or how are you, the industry doing knowledge management? I think it's a really, really interesting Thing, the legal sector's response to the international standard. When it first came out, there was huge amounts of interest in it, and there still is a lot of interest um, in the standard. Law firms often prefer not to spend money on things like that when they don't need to. And at the moment, it appears that there isn't a huge cry from clients saying all our law firms must be compliant. So there isn't a huge amount of investment in complying with the standards in order to be, you know, accredited. But there is still a lot of interest in the standard itself. There are a lot of people using it mm. alongside writing their strategies. There are a lot of people who, are, who have read it, thought, okay, so I do this aspect of knowledge management well, but actually the standards have shown me that I've got this gap. Mm. So informally, I'm going to use it to make my law firm better at knowledge management. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where 
the sector is at the moment. There's a lot of interest and I don't think people are afraid of it or anything like that. But until the clients say they have to have it, there's going to be perhaps not as much investment as you would see in other sectors. And what percentage of law does knowledge management? Well, I would say that all law firms do some knowledge management. We used to do knowledge management before we even knew what knowledge management was. You know, when I was a trainee back in the dark ages, um, <laughs> I was when I was doing my training contract, you know, one of the first things I was taught to do was keep a collection of my own of court documents that I thought were interesting or things that I had written and created that were good quality things you know and nobody really talked about what it was but that was a very analog kind of knowledge collection a personal knowledge management system all of my own so you know we got far better at it than than when I was a trainee we certainly do it very naturally because you know knowledge is the absolute lifeblood of Mm. our businesses it's baked in isn't it yeah Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Helen. It's been a pleasure. I hope you have a splendid 2021. Very much. It's been lovely to see you all. Thank you. Thank you, Ellen. Thank Thank you you so much. You have enjoyed the incredible edition of the KM Lobby. Please feel free to join the cause. We believe KM is and can benefit all. Do what you can and add to the wave of positive change. Your donations are a welcome way to make sure your vote is counted in this important movement. Explore more at pioneer-ks.org.